Hello everyone, welcome along to the Event Industry News Podcast. My name's James Dixon, wishing a very good morning, afternoon or evening to all of our podcast followers, wherever or whenever you may be tuning in to us from. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Engage, powered by D2I Systems, winner of Best Event Management Platform at the 2017 Event Technology Awards. To learn how Engage can make your business more profitable, visit d2isystems.com forward slash engage so a very good uh, a very good morning afternoon or evening to everybody and uh, on today's podcast we welcome senior marketing director from cvent europe david chalmers david a very good uh, afternoon to you and thanks for joining us hey good afternoon james for those of you unaware, I'm sure a lot of our podcast followers will, uh, will have come across Cvent, but uh, for those who haven't, Cvent is a leading cloud-based enter- enterprise event management platform that offers software solutions to event planners for online event registration, venue selection, event management, mobile apps for events, email marketing, and web surveys. However, today, David joins us to discuss the General Data Protection Regulations, or GDPR, as it's more commonly being referred to. GDPR will come into effect on the 25th of May this year, and many of us will have already seen reference to it during our day-to-day business activities, no doubt. Um, But for many of us, it remains somewhat of an unknown entity with many questions yet to be answered. Um, David, thanks for joining the podcast uh, today. Let's start by asking you to try, if you can, and give us GDPR in a nutshell so that uh, people tuning into today's podcast can understand what the main objectives of of the new legislation are? Gosh, how to summarize. Um, so I guess um, really GDPR's intent is all about privacy and security of data. And I think that the purpose of it is really about trust and transparency of how companies are using people's personal information. And so um, if you think about it, it really is about making sure that businesses are accountable for the personal information that they capture and store on people. And that's from a consumer and a business perspective and responsible for what they do with that and making sure it's maintained and kept secure. And that's it in summary, really. I'd I'd, I'd read somewhere as well that it was about putting the control of data back into the hands of the people whose data it actually is. Um, how, how exactly does that work? Because, you know, as, as consumers, you know, we're constantly giving out our data. How exactly would we control it under these new regulations? Yeah, and I think that's where the, the transparency and accountability comes in. So there's two parts of the regulation. The first one is that when a company asks you to give you their, your information, they have to be very transparent about what they're asking for that information for and what they're going to do with that information. So that's the first piece. And then the second piece is that they have to have a legal basis for capturing that information. And that's where consent, which many people have heard about and talked about, mm-hmm. comes into play. So they've got to ask for your permission. So they've got to tell you what you're going to, they're going to do with your data and they've got to ask for your permission to do that. And at a very kind of explicit and clear and granular level. So they can't, you can't say give me your data and I'm going to answer your request or register you for this event. And then I'm going to do these 10 other things as well. Mm -hmm. And then you have to give the data to be able to do the thing that you wanted to do. So they've got to say all of the things that they're going to do and ask for your explicit consent for each one of those things. So in terms of putting the power into the hands of the the individual and and in control of their data, that's, that's the basic kind of mechanism by which they're going to manage that. 
Sure. Um, when I've been looking at, at GDPR recently, and, and I know that it's a subject that is going to play out on the podcast and via event industry news over the over the coming months, and there has also all, already been a lot of activity within the events industry about it, um, involving yeah. a lot of discussion. Um, I, I can see similarities to something called CDM, which which came into effect a, a few years ago in the events industry, um, mm. construction design management, which affected companies who were building structures and erecting hardware at, uh, at temporary events. And yeah. during those discussions, I remember clearly somebody saying to me that for those companies who operate really, really good tight ships, that are already very, very compliant with all the regulations whose administration and paperwork and planning and preparation is already inherently sound. There's mm -hmm. very, going to be very little that would have affected them by the new regulations coming in that related to the building of, of structures. Um, is there a similarity with GDPR whereby people who are operating very, very good, tight, quality data regulations and protection at the moment with their businesses may only have to shift a little bit to comply with these new regulations? Yeah, I think that's an expectation, but I think there's there's an extra layer being added into these regulations, which is beyond what people would normally be doing, even from a best practice marketing perspective. So, <clears throat> in terms of you know events specifically and marketing and how we how we manage data, either consumer or business data, um, we've always had to at least ask for their permission mm -hmm. from things like the PECR, the email marketing um, regulations, um, and so we've had kind of rules about that and best practice about that. But I think in terms of the level of detail that you've got to give in terms of what you're doing, um, there, is, there is an extra level of kind of responsibility and, and things that you have to do. I would say that on the, the, the most important piece for me is the, the privacy and security of the data. And I think people are not really thinking about that when they think about GDPR. Mm -hmm. It's really about making that per, the company accountable, not just for what they do with it, but to make sure the data is kept safe. And I think everybody who's running a tight ship would have very tight and secure systems um, in terms of how they're storing that data and making sure that there's no chance of a breach of that data. So for that to be exposed. But you've seen you know, many big companies in recent times um, who have had breaches of their data and yeah. various ways. I won't, I won't name names. <laughs> I don't think you need to. But, uh... yeah. but um, <laughs> you know, I think that even those of us who are running a tight ship um, are still coming under more scrutiny. I think that the piece that's different is is that kind of transparency and accountability. So telling people what you're going to do with the data. And I think most people in marketing would be capturing data and then we'll use that for all kinds of other purposes. And we've never perhaps explained to people that we would be doing that. And I think in the events world specifically, um, this is quite different. So you're capturing data for people to register for your event. That's what we normally do. Yeah. But then what you do with that data afterwards, beyond just delivering the event, um, is something that most people would be using that data for all kinds of purposes, for analysis or marketing or other kinds of follow-up activity. Nowadays, you're not allowed to do that unless the person giving you their data and registering for your event um, gives you permission to do that. How easy will it be for people who aren't complying to be to be tracked, to, to be caught, to use um, a bit of a ruthless phrase, but uh, what, what are the implications for people who don't follow the new regulations? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of kind of doubt and uncertainty as to how much people are going to be caught out. And I think there's two ways in which it's going to happen. So individuals have the right to request things. So there's a load of new rights being given to the individual. So you have the right to ask for access to the information the company's holding on you. 
right. and you have the right to um, ask for them to delete all the information that they're holding on you. So there's all these new rights, so right to access, right to remove, and so on. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also the right to object if people are processing and using your data for a purpose that you didn't consent to. Right. Now, now people are going to be more sensitized to that and more heightened. I think, you know, in the UK, certainly, and across Europe, people are going to be reporting people to their governing bodies. So if you take my data to register me for an event, and then you give my data to three other suppliers who then start calling me and marketing to me because they got that data from your event, mm -hmm. then I'm going to complain about that. And I think there's a lot of people who are going to be doing that. I think the other piece is, is the breach. And so we talked about security. I think yeah. people like those companies who've been caught lately um, who have a breach of their data, then they're going to get into trouble. But I think the third one that, that people aren't necessarily thinking about, which I heard, was that competitors are allowed to report other companies because right. it's effectively anti-competitive behavior if you're not following the guidelines because you're kind right. of saving costs or reducing your process or whatever. And so I'm not saying in our industry that would happen, but it's perfectly possible that one of your competitors could report you if you were misusing data and not getting the right consent for what you're doing. And then you'll be investigated by the ICO or someone else. Now, now as much as perhaps we, we wouldn't want to, that to happen, it's frustrating for any company that is doing something by the book to see a competitor not doing it by the book and uh, getting business as a result of that. So it, even though perhaps it's not a scenario that we would like to see, perhaps it, 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 if, it, if it does happen, uh, do we think that there's every chance that, that, that we will start seeing companies, um, again, to use a bit of a ruthless turn, shopping their competitors? Yeah, I mean, I really think it can happen. I think in the events world, there's, I mean, I'm talking to our customers a lot at the moment about this all over the place. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that comes up is um, things like selling sponsorships for your events is a good example. Okay. Um, and when you sell a sponsorship, oftentimes you might be selling the attendee data. Or if you get a sponsored session, you, you, you can give them the data for that session. If you're still doing that and you haven't got permission from your attendees to be able to share their data with the sponsor or the speaker at that session, then you're breaking the rules. And so if you suddenly try and follow the letter of the rule and then you've got all these sponsors and you're telling them, oh, I can't give you the attendee data anymore because nobody consented to share their data with you, then maybe you're going to lose that sponsor and that sponsor is going to go sponsor a different event. And so those kind of things are, are the kind of things that are going to unravel, I think. And that's where if I had an event and I was trying to attract sponsors and said I couldn't give them the data, and they said, well, we're going to sponsor that other event over there instead because they promised us we would get the data. Mm. And I'm going to shop that other event. I mean, absolutely. Would, right? So absolutely. I think that's, that's the kind of thing that's going to happen. And just to, again, to, to re-clarify and put everything, you know, into exact perspective, when we're talking about selling sponsorships and saying to a sponsor, we'll give you the data, when it comes actually round to collecting that data, we're talking about an organizer explicitly, word for word, saying to its potential attendees and, and people who are registering, by registering for this event, we will be sharing your data with sponsors or speakers at this event. You would have to give it in those exact terms. Yeah, and in fact, even more granular and more precise than you just described. So in fact, if you did what you just said, then that would be breaking the rules. So. Right. Um, there's there's a concept called omnibus consent. Okay. And that's something that I've actually registered for events quite recently and found this. 
where I've been registering and gotten to the end and they've obviously been thinking about GDPR and privacy and they put this big statement with words to the effect of what you just said. So it's by registering for this event, you give us permission to give your email to our exhibitors and our sponsors and you know every man and their dog and you know, Uncle Tom Cobbley and all. Um, and you had to say yes to be allowed to register for the event. That's completely breaking all of the rules on so many different levels. So the, the most important one is that you can't do omnibus. So if you want to use the data for different things other than attending the event, so to give to exhibitors, to give to sponsors, to give to some other third party or to do some other thing with it, you have to list each one of those separately and get a checkbox or a yes, no answer to consent to each one of those things. And you know, if they consent, then you can do that thing with that person's data. The people who don't consent to that, they can't be on the list that you share with your sponsors and so on. And so each, each thing that you want to do has to be explicitly described and you have to get consent to each one of those things separately and individually is the big problem. And, and, it, and, can't, it, and it can't, sorry, be mandatory. That was the other problem. Okay. But you can't say you can only come to my event if you agree to all of these 10 things. That's again breaking the rules in terms of the reason I need the data is because I need to manage the event and deliver the event, you know, and organize the event with your information. I don't need your data for any other purpose for you to attend this event. So I can't make it mandatory that you give me permission to do all of those other things so that you can attend my event. Understood. And, and the way that I phrase it and the way that, 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 that you responded to that and, and the examples that you've given, the, the, the immediate differentiation that I can see is one was a statement and one was a question. The way I phrased it was by, by registering for this event, you give us consent. That, that's a statement to the registrant, whereby yeah. what you're saying is you have to actually ask the question to them. Can we, and then provide a list, can we pass your data on to sponsors, use yes. your data to, for future marketing purposes, re specifically regarding this event? The, the, so you're actually asking a question of that registrant that they have to answer yes, no, or check a, a, a consent box, rather than giving them a statement, letting them know that they're consenting. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be worded as a question. It can be you know, I, I give permission for my data to be used or shared with the sponsors. And then it's a checkbox. Or you can say, you can ask the question and then it can be a yes, no response. But either way, they have to take a, a positive and affirmative action mm -hmm. to, to show that they're giving you that consent. And then you need to be able to obviously store that and to, to show that if you're ever kind of questioned or audited. An omnibus consent uh, is, is the official term, um, I'm, I'm guessing, for what many of us will have seen before, which is this uh, almost reverse sort of psychology. I don't know if you would call it that, but the box at the bottom of a registration form that you have to tick if you don't want your data to be passed on. Yeah, that's, that's something that ha presumably will have to stop immediately under this. Yeah, that, that's a very important point. You can't make it negative. So you can't default to yes and then force them to take an action to say no. Mm -hmm. You have to require them to take an action to say yes. So it's consent. It's not objection. So if you default it to checked, then that they've checked the box or unchecked the box to object to that thing. And that's not what the rules say. The rules require consent. So it's a positive, affirmative action. So you can't have any, any kind of default checkboxes that are already pre-ticked or anything. That's completely breaking the rules too. Absolutely. Now, having established 
the correct ways to actually capture the data and what people will have to change and be aware of in order to get the initial information into them. One thing that you mentioned is going to be key is, is security and the mm -hmm. storage and the management of that data. Now, this, I suppose, is particularly relevant for you guys at Cvent because the very nature of what you do is that you are helping your clients to capture and manage the information of their event attendees. Yeah. How, much, um, how much shifting and how much reprogramming and, and, and how much work have you guys had to put in with your own systems uh, in anticipation of, of these changes and how long has that taken you? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of the security, very little, because we've always been very, very focused on security. We have a very large security team across our thousand-person technology team that builds all our products. Um, and we have a chief security officer as well who's been in place for quite some time. So security, we are PCI Level 1 compliant. We have an ISO certification. We have Privacy Shield certification. All of those things are just normal, everyday business for us. It's how we do business. Um, the things that we've been adding to the product, and we've been working on this for about a year now because we've seen it, you know, when the regulations first came out, we saw that there were things that we could do to make it easier mm -hmm. for event organizers to use the system and to, to capture and track consent and to manage things like right to access and right to be forgotten. So the things we've been building are things like special consent fields. So there's a real a specific field type now on a registration form that's not just a generic one that we'll be releasing in time for me um, which allows you to capture consent it's called a consent field type and it tracks the timestamp and the audit of when that consent was given and if it was changed or updated over time and stuff so you have a full audit trail of what happened with those fields or else we're looking at um, scripts which allow you if someone says I want to see all of the information you hold on me from the right to access we can run scripts that run across our entire platform, which kind of goes across the whole event lifecycle and then pulls back all of that data and then gives you a CSV file, which shows you all of the data that's on the event management platform for that particular data subject. Um, and similarly, things like the right to be forgotten. It's a big problem for events people where, you know, if you have 10 attendees from your event who suddenly say, I want you to delete all the information on me, um, you don't want to delete 10 registrations from the historical reporting for your event. So you don't want to get rid of that attendee record altogether. You just need to anonymize it. So you take off the personally identifiable information. Um, so you still have an attendee, but it's yeah. a generic attendee with no personal information. It might have some generic demographics and stuff that you can't relate it to an actual individual. So you can still keep the reporting. You still keep the, the attendee count in your post-event reporting, or your cross-event analysis for all of last year, you don't lose that kind of thing. So it's things like that that we've been adding on top of the product that kind of makes it much easier for people to comply with some of the new requirements of the regulations. And these examples are very, very useful because I think one, one thing that people have struggled with in, in, in recent months is, is understanding the actual practicalities of it. You know, what will they have to do on a day-to-day -day basis operationally to, to manage this? You know, what, what buttons will they have to click? Can they anonymize data? And you've answered a, a key question there. Can, can you keep some of the statistical data relating to an event so that you can still see broad demographics but without you know, uh, infringing on the new regulations. And, and something that that leads me to is um, event organizers with historical data that are not stored in, in systems that are perhaps as sophisticated as, as the ones you guys operate. Um, and we're talking about old fashioned spreadsheets, you know, um, yeah. written files and, and, and registration forms that some event companies may have had for years and years and years, you know, 
thousands and thousands of records of historical data. What will they do with something like an old Excel spreadsheet, for example? Um, so there's several layers to that one, really. I think the first piece, um, and we've had a we've had an expert called Deborah Harding from the Market Research Society, who's been kind of consulting with us and, and presenting on webinars to our customers and stuff. Mm -hmm. And her, her absolute recommendation is get rid of any data that you don't actively use today. Right. The best way to mitigate risk. And I think there's another concept that she talks about a lot in terms of this is about risk. It's like a health and safety directive. You can never be 100% perfect on health and safety because mm -hmm. accidents happen and things can go wrong. And it's very similar. We should take a similar approach in terms of how we think about GDPR because it's about risk. So if you have tons and tons of data um, that's, that's sitting in all kinds of different places all over your organization, then there's a chance that that data will be breached, that somebody will get hold of that list and do something with it, mm -hmm. and then you will get into trouble and you will be fined. So any data that you're not actively using that's personally identifiable, you should just get rid of it and take it away. Um, I think on a more practical level, um, from a spreadsheet perspective, and I think this is one of the biggest problems that the event industry is going to have, which is that we do a lot of work on spreadsheets. We're always uploading and downloading registration lists and you know sorting out data for badge printing and whatever else. Mm. And those spreadsheets are not secure. It's that simple. So not only are they all over the place, they're on people's desktops and laptops and on printed out sheets on people's desks and all that kind of stuff, but people are emailing registration lists all over the place. You do it to your grand transportation, you do it to your hotel for room blocks and all that kind of stuff, and that's not secure at all. So you're really exposed and at risk of a breach from any spreadsheet that you have lying around and any spreadsheet that you're emailing around. So at the very least, you shouldn't be having printed lists that are left lying around in any way. Like even a, a sign-in sheet, Deborah suggested, um, that you would normally have for checking people in, if you do that manually on a sign-in sheet, if that's got personally identifiable information, then that's something that's data that should be secured. And if you leave a list lying around, then people could grab that. The same with even if you print out all your badges and lay them out all on a table like we often do, which has people's names and job titles and companies, yeah, that's yeah. PII, that's personally identifiable information. Someone could take a photograph of that table full of badges and then do something with that data, which could get you into trouble. And I think that, that for me, like, you know, in the events world, we live on spreadsheets. That's how we kind of run our business and always have done historically. Mm. And I think that's the biggest risk that we have. So I think two things, you know, clear up as much data as you can and get rid of whatever you really, really don't need. Mm. Um, and only focus on the data that you need now for the people you're actually going to be talking to or inviting to your events now. But the second one is get rid of all of the spreadsheets and all of the records that you have all over your organization, whatever size or shape your organization is, and um, find out where they are and, and clean them up and get rid of them, I think is the best way to be secure. The, um, the, the other side of things, I suppose, if you can call it that, David, is, um, is the actual event staff. So what we've spoken about a lot so far on today's podcast when it comes to GDPR is attendees and people registering to come to an event as an attendee of that mm -hmm. organiser. However, what, what we shouldn't forget is that, of course, an event organiser, depending on the size of their event, will have a lot of contractors, suppliers, staff coming in and out that they may need to register. They may need to issue them with their own staff badges or contractor passes to get them on and off site and allow them into a particular venue. Mm -hmm. um, all of the, the regulations and all of the 
compliance that we've spoken about so far, I'm of the understanding that this applies just as much to staff and your own employees as it does to attendees. Is that right? And, and what should we be looking out for on that particular front? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you should consider the staff data the same as your attendee data. There's no difference according to the regulations. And, and very specifically, every company has a responsibility for the data that they hold on their employees anyway, whether they're permanent employees or contractors or anything else temporary. Mm -hmm. uh, the company has a responsibility for that data as well because it's PII. And so, you know, in, in our organization, we have every single function in the company who's going through a GDPR program to look at their entire operation from finance to HR to IT to marketing and sales. Um, and HR specifically has to look at how are we storing employee data? How are we keeping it secure? How are we able to give people access to the information we hold on them if they request it? So all of those same rules apply to an employee asking for the information that their employer holds on them. And so from an event perspective, all of the contract staff, all of the temp staff, um, you're responsible for the information that you hold on them and making sure that that's you know, that obtained in the right way, you have just the right information that you need to be able to employ them for whatever purpose and that you keep their data secure and you can show them what you have on them. I think that the bigger piece on that one is, and it's another one that's that's troubling lots of our customers in terms of um, the amount of temp and contract staff you use for your events. Um, they need to be told what your GDPR policies are and what their responsibilities are, and they need to be trained on how they need to protect and take care of personal information. Mm -hmm. So if they've got you know ground transportation lists or room block lists, and they're running around with clipboards with those those lists. Um, they need to know what their responsibilities are to keep that safe and secure. And that's kind of, you know, there's a lot of temper contract staff in the events world um, who will have access to all of that kind of stuff. Yep. And you as, you as the company are responsible for making sure that they're fully trained and briefed on what they have to do um, with that personal information that they're kind of accessing or managing. Uh, I, I should point out at, at this stage of the, of the podcast, um, before we continue, that um, David, uh, in light of the fact that this, this subject is going to roll and roll and roll over the next few months and there will be an awful lot of questions uh, that we would uh, like to ask and that we need to ask, we have already um, invited David back on to the podcast in a few weeks' time as a bit of a follow-up to this initial podcast to look at further developments, answer any further questions that we've got but also any questions that our audience may have. Um, it, it, I think it's important with a subject like this that we ask as many questions as possible and shouldn't be afraid to ask even the most simplest of, of questions to people like David. So if any of our listeners out there want to get in touch with us in the coming weeks uh, and put to us questions that they would like to ask David and any of our other GDP uh, experts and, and, and people that we're going to get on the podcast in the coming months, um, please do get in touch with us. You can uh, tweet us at event news blog or get in touch via the website and put any questions to us um, and I'm sure David uh, would, would be happy to to look at any questions that we get in from other event professionals and, and look at how they are perhaps adapting their own processes and any advice that people may have for the industry David yeah no absolutely I mean I've been I've been talking about this with customers and at um, different events and roundtables and everything for quite a, a few months now and there's so many different questions come in because the regulations are not precise. That's the thing. They're regulations which have very open definitions and a lot of times are open to interpretation. Um, so we've been uh, through that process um, and through running our own customer webinars, um, we had, we've been collating questions all over the place for all kinds of different event scenarios 
and trying to come up with the best possible, um, I guess, guidance, because we can't say advice because there's no kind of legal advice possible here. Certainly, I'm not a lawyer. I'm just an industry person. Um, <clears throat> and I think it's it's guidance in terms of how to interpret the, the regulations in terms of what makes sense for your business or your event, and also in terms of the risk that you want to take and things like that, because it's about risk mitigation. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've built up a list of FAQs that we've published on our GDPR website, um, and we are kind of evolving that. Every time we have different um, meetings with customers, we get questions coming in from customers all the time, um, and, and different sessions where we get new stuff and new things we hadn't even thought of, we're adding them to that FAQ piece. So we'll be building on that over time. And, and before we finish up today's episode, we will uh, get David to give us the details of that, uh, that GDPR website and the pages that Cvent have, have specifically set up to, to offer some guidance uh, on this. But um, just, just to throw a couple of sort of other, other questions at you, David, and, and, and how it may affect organizers and, um, and companies like yourself. Um, mm -hmm. Cvent is, is a global operation. You are working not just in, in the UK, but in the United States, right across Europe and indeed right, right across the world. Of no, no doubt, mm -hmm. um, this this specific regulation and GDPR is an EU regulation that's being adopted by by the UK and a number of other countries as well. Um, how does it affect your <coughs> transatlantic operations, if you will, in your global operations? And as a company, does Cvent look at the most extreme of circumstances and build its platforms to to work in line with those, knowing that that then that will fit around the world? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that one of the one of the jobs that I've had and one of the jobs we have as a company is making sure that our customers globally understand that this can potentially impact them and that they do have to consider this. Um, and it is something certainly in North America, people had perhaps in, in the past assumed that it had nothing to do with them because it was just a, an EU regulation. Hmm. But there are companies all across America and all across the world who are either running events which are located in the EU um, or they're inviting and having attendance from people who are from the EU or a resident in the EU. So it does apply globally, and that's a big education job we've done, and we are continuing to do. I mean, we just had a webinar where we had um, over 2,000 people registered from our customer base in North America um, because they're just waking up to this, I think, and they're just waking up to the realization that they have to comply with this too. Mm -hmm. And I think from our perspective, so the European regulations, are, we feel, are the beginning of a trend which is going to be global and it's going to continue over time. And this is just the beginning of that, that kind of movement, if you like, which is about making companies accountable for what they're doing with people's personal data. And I think, you know, with the recent events that have happened with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica and everything else that's going on in the world at the moment, I, I can only see that growing. And so, you know, we've gotten on board with this and we are, you know, absolutely confident that we will be compliant and be able to help um, all of our customers be compliant in time for 25th of May. Um, and, and we're doing this as just normal everyday business for us because it's just how we operate. And there are other countries who are doing similar things. I mean, Canada has very similar rules that they put in place. Um, and we know that there are other parts of the world that are looking at the GDPR regulations. Even China, I heard recently, who's looking at this and looking at putting similar processes in place. Right. So, you know, this is, this is just normal business for us and something that we see as a positive thing that's going to put kind of trust back into the events world um, for us, certainly, and, and something we should all be getting on board with.
But by having to adapt your your own business to be compliant with GDPR, which is a, an, an EU law and, and something that's coming into place in Europe, does that actually, from a business perspective, put you in, in a very strong position by being able to take your product then to other parts of the world and, and be able to say to them, we are compliant with these really, really tight, strict EU regulations now, which actually, which actually makes us over-compliant in other territories? Yeah, I mean, I guess I hadn't really thought about it like that, but certainly um, it's something that because we can comply with this, um, it gives us a really strong position in terms of other parts of the world. But with GDPR, there is no kind of certification process. So a company can't certify themselves to say we are GDPR compliant. Mm -hmm. We can just show and demonstrate all of the things that we've done to, to be compliant ourselves and to be compliant as a data processor on behalf of all of our customers. Um, and I think that there's other, there's, other, there's other regulations and other requirements like PCI um, security compliance, like ISO standards, and like the Privacy Shield and the fact that, you know, we've used TrustArc to certify our Privacy Shield um, certification. I think that those kind of things um, already stand us in good stead. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that we're getting on board or we have gotten on board with GDPR um, is just another, another kind of... Um, string to our bow if you like absolutely um we've been talking today to david chalmers david is the senior marketing director for cvent europe um and we've been talking about gdpr i suppose what we've done today is is set out what it is, what it will mean for event organizers. And David has, has, has very, very um, kindly and, and succinctly put into context some of the key operational things that uh, event organizers and those who work in the industry will have to start considering and, and, and changes to, to the practicalities of their operations that they will have to start implementing. And as I mentioned to you earlier on in the podcast, David is going to join us again in, uh, in a few weeks' time to look at this subject in, in even more detail. And we would very much like to get any of our podcast followers to submit questions or opinions or any thoughts that they've got on GDPR to us before that happens so that we can put them to David and, uh, and do a bit of follow-up on that and look at some of the other areas of GDPR that we haven't been able to, to touch on in today's episode. So, um, David, thank you very much for, for, for joining us. Um, before, we, before we wrap up, it's, in, it's been uh, great to talk to you. But tell us, before we say goodbye, about the website that you've set up and the specific resources that Cvent have put together uh, for people who want to learn more about this. Yeah, absolutely. So we put together a, a website to pull together as much information as we can to help our customers and the rest of the industry understand what this is all about. Um, it's at cvent.com forward slash GDPR, very simply. Um, and if you go there, you'll find we have a webinar that, um, as I mentioned, Deborah Harding did for us, and um, which really gives a much more detailed one hour overview of the regulations and the specifics about the regulations and what you have to do. Mm -hmm. We built up a fairly comprehensive list of FAQs, which we're adding to all the time as we go on, as we get more questions in from our customers and otherwise. Um, and we have um, some other assets, just a, a nice little video, which kind of gives you an overview of GDPR and what it is and so on. The big thing that we're working on at the moment is <clears throat> we're going to be running a webinar for our customers next week, where we're going to walk through step-by-step step of the event lifecycle. Um, yep. to really talk through what do you have to do and what do you have to consider differently. And then off the back of that, we're building a, a dynamic online interactive infographic, um, which allows you to kind of step through the event lifecycle and gives you kind of hints and tips of all the things that you have to do at each step. So I think that that website's where we're going to be publishing more and more content. And I'd recommend if anybody wants to get a lot more detail, then go have a look there. 
Fantastic. Thank you very much. Don't forget uh, that uh, our followers can stay up to date with the latest content from eventindustrynews.com by downloading the Event Industry News app available for all the major mobile devices. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, get your opinions and any questions that you might have on this particular subject to us using Twitter via at Event News Blog. Um, today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Engage, powered by D2I Systems, winner of Best Event Management Platform at the 2017 Event Technology Awards. To learn how Engage can make your business more profitable, visit d2isystems.com forward slash engage. We will now finish today's uh, podcast episode, bring that to a conclusion, but only in the short term. Because as I said, David is going to join us again in a few weeks' time to look at the subject in a bit more detail. But for now, we shall wrap up today's episode and say our final thanks to David Chalmers from Cvent. David, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. And uh, we will see you on the next episode. Thank you very much and goodbye to you all. Mm-hmm.